phase is locked and ready to fire, sir. Illogical. Welcome back to Federation Radio with me, your host, Floyd. So today, we're watching the very first, well, the proper first episode of Star Trek, because as I said last time, last week was kind of episode zero. The it's, It is the first episode, but not really. This one is the first one that aired. This is the first episode with the crew, or most of the crew, that everyone recognizes as the original Star Trek crew, with Kirk and Spock and Sulu. Almost everybody, except notably, were missing our Russian friend, Mr. Chekhov, who will not be added to the show for another season, which it's surprising how many even Star Trek fans don't realize it was an entire season of that show without him. But anyway, so today was meant to be a very basic episode. Like, at the very start, we get to see Captain Jim Kirk. Kirk leading a mission that was just a routine medical examination. They were going to a planet. I didn't actually take note of where the planet was, but it didn't really matter because it's not that important. It was just a desert planet or a mostly desert planet with some ruins of what was said to be an ancient civilization long since dead. So this doctor is well, a professor who is here as an archaeologist and it seems like his entire job is just to study this place and catalogue it. Which, you know, makes sense. I'm, I'm glad. I don't know if there's a better word for what a space archaeologist would be. I don't know if we'd still use the word archaeologist. Maybe xeno-archaeologist or something. But whatever. They just called it archaeologist. So it's meant to be just a basic. Every 12 months, if you're on a planet like this, a starship doctor, or presumably just a Starfleet doctor, needs to give you a checkover. So this was supposed to be... Presumably, the Enterprise is off doing its exploring. Got a message from Starfleet saying, Hey, there's a doctor. You're the nearest. There's a doctor we need you to go see. You're the nearest ship. Go give him a medical examination while you're doing your mission because this is meant to be something that would take an afternoon. It was not meant to be a big mission. So they stop in. They see this doctor. But when they land, the doctor's married and his wife's there with them, which. Ordinarily, it wouldn't be a big deal, but this particular woman, Nancy Crater, and the doctor is named Robert Crater. Uh, Nancy Crater has a history with Dr. McCoy, who was our doctor, and will be the ongoing doctor throughout the series. Well, the next few seasons, anyway, of the series. And so, you know, it's a little awkward for him. He hasn't seen her for a long time. She's married to a new man, but whatever. He has to come do his job. He's going to give him their basic medical and leave. But then everything gets weird. They land and immediately things get strange. They see her. The doctor, uh, Crater, is not initially here. It's just his wife. So they see Nancy. And what's interesting is we get to see it too. When Kirk looks at Nancy, she looks like a, you know, nothing wrong with her, but a little bit of an older woman, probably in her 40s, maybe 50s. We see her as, she's all right. There's nothing wrong with her, but she's a bit older. But then it gets really weird when we see Dr. McCoy looks at her and she suddenly looks about 25 years younger. And he comments on that and Kirk just sort of laughs and trying to be polite, of course. He doesn't want to say, no, she doesn't look that young, but equally, it's clear he doesn't really agree. But then it gets really weird when uh, Crewman, and I wrote his name, Crewman Darnell, Crewman Darnell looks at her and suddenly she becomes blonde. 
She appears to be blonde, and she has changed her appearance completely, although no one else seems to react to it. Which immediately tells the viewer that, yeah, she's some kind of perception issue going on here. Everyone is perceiving her as looking different. What you don't know at this point is whether she's in control of that, or whether this is some kind of anomaly. Now, <laughs> it's fine. Darnell looks at her, and the captain kind of says, there's something wrong, Darnell. Or crewman Darnell. And he says... You, I know it's impossible, but you remind me of someone I would have met on Wrigley's, what was it called? I did write there, Wrigley's Pleasure Planet, which I think, now I could be wrong, but I think Wrigley's Pleasure Planet, what a mouthful, Wrigley's Pleasure Planet is supposed to be basically the role that Riser takes over for like the rest of the series, because later on when they have a vacation or they go to like a holiday place to maybe meet somebody sexually or have some fun just relax they all go to riser that seems to be like the next generation deep space nine voyage well not so much voyager but that era is like place to go i've never heard of wrigley's pleasure planet and i'm not a hundred percent if it comes up again in the series but I, that's probably something after i record this that i'll be looking into because <laughs> i want to know and i'll comment in the next one if it did come up again i'll make sure to correct myself but yeah anyway he sees her it's a bit weird, it's uncomfortable, Kirk kind of says, well, McCoy first says, too much mouth, which is probably one of the nicest ways I've ever heard somebody say, shut the hell up. And uh, Kirk just kind of, again, diplomatically as the commander says, perhaps you should wait outside. You know, make him leave, let's stop the awkwardness. And then he sort of says, oh... Maybe I'll wait outside too and sort of gives a wink to McCoy like I'll let you catch up with your old friend. But she stops him. She makes him stay and, you know, nothing really happens at first. And then she she basically says something jokingly along the lines of I don't want to be alone with the Doctor just yet. Oh, with Plum. That's right, she calls him Plum, which is apparently an old nickname for McCoy, which sadly I don't think ever comes up again. I don't recall there being another episode where he gets called Plum. Um, no. Yeah, and then she goes off and she says, I'm going to go get my husband. I'll bring him here so we can do our checkups. And the captain and that are okay with that. The captain and the doctor wait as she leaves. And then it kicks into the intro, which, just so you know, for the rest of the series, I'm going to basically skip because I, at the start of each season, I might watch an episode just to see if it's changed. But the intro, it gets a little boring for me now. I've watched it so many times, but it is cool. I will say, because in the first episode they did have a bit of an intro, but it was a little different, a bit more experimental. This is more the nice orchestral music, the horns, and we get the uh, the OG, like the original Kirk, saying, "We, are, you know, this is Enterprise on our five-year mission." And maybe I should write it. Maybe I will take notice and write it out or something next time. I'll get an exact quote, but it's something like that. Like anyone who watches the show knows what I'm talking about. And that was cool to see. It was the correct music. Like It was nice to see that on the first episode when it aired on TV, they already had most of the basics of what Star Trek would be down and into the episode. I thought that was cool. Like It's not like the intro was some weird thing and it took them a season to sort it out. Like No, they got it pretty much straight away. And then they go back to the episode and... Well, we don't get to see the wife just yet. Like Nancy has gone off and says she'll bring the Doctor back. But then... After she leaves and after the intro plays, the Doctor actually does come in. And he seems really agitated and protective, like someone who just doesn't want these damn people on his planet. And he says, 
pretty pretty strongly like i don't need your checkup i don't need anything from you all i requested was salt like very very blunt and straight to the point of like yeah give me my salt that's all i want from you i don't respect you i don't care about your rank i don't care that you're a doctor please get the hell off my planet and you know what i can sort of respect that but he was really rude about it and as they point out we are doing our duty we have to check on you it is starfleet regulations I'm afraid whether you want us to be here or not is irrelevant, which is also fair. But then we get he, while he's yelling at them, and I, this is just a little side point I wanted to throw out because I always thought it was cool and I didn't actually notice it the first time I watched it, is um, when he's yelling at him, he says to Kirk, because Kirk makes a comment, well, I am the captain and I have to fulfill my duties. And he sort of cuts him off with the, What's he say? He says, gold, oh, you just love showing off your gold braille, don't you? And that, that's actually something that a lot of, even a lot of Star Trek fans, I don't think recognize is that in World War II and earlier in the past, and perhaps still now, I'm not actually sure whether they've changed it in the Navy, but back then on Navy ships, instead of having like a bar, like having rank insignia and all that stuff on your chest, like I think in the army, they tend to do the like, stripes on the um i think it's not it's like your upper arm i think i could be wrong but it's like the upper arm or the front of the jacket the air force tends to have the shoulder like the different shoulder um, pads with the different lines and stuff in them but navy navy actually does it on the arms they do the braille the golden braille or silver braille or whatever like along the hand along the wrist and if you actually take notice in star trek this is a thing that they stick to on the ship this is and and it makes sense because some of the actors like i'm pretty sure scotty who i don't think was in this episode maybe he was but um he was an ex-navyman from i think world war ii and i believe quite a few of the writers on original track were like ex-navymen which is why the ship is set up and put that way but anyway that's just a little bit of trivia like i know later on in star trek they do the pips in the neck which i actually really like i think that's a cool little sci-fi thing and it's sort of an in-between the armed services because there's an argument to be made that Starfleet is not really a navy, but it's not quite an air force either, and I definitely wouldn't call it an army. So having its own separate rankings in here that's a bit separated from Earth, I think makes sense. But anyway, at this point, and in the original series, they use gold braille in the arms, which I just thought was cool, and then I'd throw that out there for you. So there you go, a little bit of information for you. Now during this scene, he does end up calming down. Eventually they talk for a little bit and he calms down. He lets the doctor do a bit of a medical examination on him. And we learn something about Dr. McCoy and what sort of man he is and what kind of doctor he is. And it's a big part of like what he is and his characteristics. And that is that he's very old school. He does, he gets out his medical tricorder with his little, it looks like a little siren light, like miniature that he like moves up and down his back while they put the sound effects. It, it looks funny, but it's cool. It works. It serves the purpose and... Afterwards, though, the bit that sets him apart is that he gets out a bit of wood and says, open your mouth, please. And he says, and the Dr. Crater that he's checking over says, what, what do you mean? You just used your tricorder. Isn't the machine good enough to do that? And he says, oh, the machine works just fine, but I like to be, but I like to be sure. And there's nothing wrong with a good set of tonsils. And, you know, that's just the classic McCoy. Machines, they can do many things, but McCoy doesn't always trust them. And that, you know, for a sci-fi show that's meant to be in the far-flung future, I think that is 
pretty cool. Like, imagine meeting a doctor today who still used leeches or had his own little lab in the back of his place. Like, it isn't that unheard of for doctors to still follow old traditions. They're not necessarily bad, they're just out of date a little. You know, it's cool to kind of see that in the far future like that, there may be doctors that are still like that and stick to those old traditions. Even though most doctors probably don't do that anymore. But unfortunately they're interrupted by a scream as, rest in peace, crewman Darnell, we didn't know you nearly well enough. <laughs> Poor Darnell. Actually, I'll say this for this episode, this is a surprisingly bloody episode for as far as Starfleet casualties go. I've got a total of three Starfleet casualties in this episode. One yellow shirt, two blue shirts, and one unknown. And we'll go into when they all die later, but... Darnell, I believe, was a blue shirt, although I could be wrong about that. I didn't take note of what the shirts were, I just put shirt colours and then a dash with how many died. But uh, anyway, Darnell dies, so obviously everything stops. They go running out looking for Darnell, so you've got Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, and uh, Dr. Crater, who lives on the planet, of course, are all there. The woman screams, which is Nancy Crater, and at this point... You know, we don't know what's going on. We see Darnell's on the ground. He's got these red marks all over his face that, to me, look like suction points. And that's, you know, obviously what they're supposed to look like if you're paying attention. But she describes having come out to find Darnell and he was eating a plant. And she's sort of crying and says, I tried to tell him not to eat the plant. The native life on this planet is not edible. It is poisonous. And he dies. And the way he dies is, as they discover later, he has an extreme lack of salt. Like, no salt in his body at all. It's like it's been ripped out of his skin. Which killed him instantly. Now, they didn't notice it at first because the death looked and seemed a lot like alkaloid poisoning, which would make sense for the plant. But obviously they find this happening, and at this point, we learn a bit about Kirk. Kirk is an extremely protective captain when it comes to his crew, and I love him for it. I think it's one of his better traits, actually. He's, when it comes to his crew, he's a lot more like Captain Janeway. Someone touches a hair on one of his crewmen's head and he's going to burn your damn planet to the ground. Because nobody hurts Kirk's crew. And, you know, I like that. There's a lot of people, you know, in hindsight, a lot of people look at Kirk and there's a lot of stereotypes with him that are very 1960s and not really the norm anymore. I still think he's funny. I, I like Kirk myself, but, you know, even if you feel that way about him, this is something about I think most people can agree. He is a good captain. He looks out for his crew and he does care about them. So at this point, you know, they're about to call up the ship and basically get transported back. But before they actually call the ship, it does a bit of a scene transition and we get to go onto the bridge of the Enterprise, which is the first time since Kirk and that left the bridge at the very start. And we get to see a fun little scene of Uhura, who is, you know... Very famously, the comms officer. She's a black lady, which in the 1960s, especially in the early 60s when this came out, was to put one on screen in a role of command. While she wasn't commanding the ship, she was a command-level officer on the bridge. Was pretty progressive for its era, you know? It, it got a lot of praise, even from Martin Luther King himself, who was a fan of the show, and in particular her. She quite often will talk about how Martin Luther King himself came to one of the show she was at a comedy show or something and like asked to see her through the staff and how much of an honor it was for her which is cool but anyway we get a cool little scene of Ohura 
there was Spock, who I will also say, unlike the last episode where we had smiling Spock, angry Spock, or we even had stressed out Spock, we had a lot of very emotional Spock in the in the last episode, but not so much in this one. In this one, he is proper Spock. He is an actual Vulcan now. He's not showing emotion and in this very first scene. Uhuru is like basically bored. She's making it clear that she's bored. It seems like she's fairly new to working with him and she's trying to get to know him. He's like, why don't you call me an attractive young lady and ask me what I'm doing on this bridge? She's like trying to be friendly, trying to get a bit of conversation going and he's just not really having it. He's just confused by the whole thing and doesn't understand the need to socialize, which is a very, very Vulcan thing and it's what Spock's known for and I love that they showed it in this episode because again, this episode got a lot of things right. Now, they got that right. They were having their little conversation and while it wasn't really working the way she intended, they were talking and we got to know a little bit. They're like, yeah, she's a playful, she's a friendly person, she's pretty outgoing. She's the comms officer, and we got to know Spock, and we got to show off a little, like, yes, he is a Vulcan. This is what proper Vulcans look like. Ignore what you saw last time. This is what all Vulcans will be going forward, which is nice. And then, of course, they get the call from um, the captain saying, three to beam up, one casualty. And that's immediately, like, a bit of a conversation stopper for everyone on the bridge, where it's like, what? It's like, everyone, like the episode started with, expected a basic mission. They were going to go down, give a medical examination in an hour or two at most. They'll come back on board and we'll go off to wherever we have to go next. Which, from the comms message we got later on in the episode, sounds like they're going to some kind of Mexican colony to deliver something, a bunch of chili, a bunch of chili beans to them. And Kirk says they'll live without them a few more days if need be. So apparently they're delivering chilies, which is seems like a waste of the Federation flagship to me, but I guess all flagship, all the starships still need to be doing practical things. At this point in time, they didn't have quite the fleets that uh, Starfleet will be known for later. But anyway, while they're up there, they get a call from the dispensary department, which, again, I don't know what that's supposed to be. Is that a pharmacy on board? Why do we need a pharmacy on board when we have replicators? But then this is still that weird era where they don't quite have food replicators. It's something between enterprises like protein synthesizers that can like supplement certain foods but not create them from scratch. And the later ones, like it's a little more advanced than they were, but not much. They still keep a lot of food stores and stuff on board and there's a lot of episodes about grain and other things. So like things aren't quite as advanced as they'll be in Starfleet later. So apparently there's a dispensary department, which I never thought of before, but I guess having a pharmacy on board for the medical department probably makes sense. But anyway, yeah, we get a call from them. I just thought it was weird because I'd never heard that before on the starships. But after being on the ship for a little bit and having all of this stuff looked into on the body, they discover something's wrong. This is, like I was saying earlier, this is where they discover that, yep... He didn't die of alkaline poisoning, that was a lie. Dispensary has discovered that he has a lack of salt in his body. It happened very suddenly, and that's how he died, but they don't know how that happened. So Kirk's a little shitty at this point. He's getting angry. He's like, I have a dead crewman. They lied to me down there. The only thing that they both asked us for casually during conversation down there was salt. And now I have a crewman who is dead from a lack of salt. I can understand why that coincidence kind of got him a bit riled up, like, I need to go down to the damn surface now. So he went down again. This time he brought... Oh, I don't actually... 
did he bring the doctor with him this time? I, you know, I should know that. I don't, I don't quite remember though. I think it was Spock. Anyway, he went down there, and he brought two crewmen, a Mister Sturgeon and Green. Now they were standing outside again after a quick discussion with the doctor. They basically came down. He said, said what happened to. Dr. Crater, like, I have a dead man. We've discovered he's dead from a lack of salt. You guys asked for salt. I need some answers. But Mr. Crater, well, Dr. Crater, pulls out a big jar and says, we had 25 pounds of salt when we first came here a year ago. Now we have about four. And they taste it. He's right. There is a little bit of salt in the bottom, and it is a big jar that's empty, so sure. That's a fairly viable excuse for why they asked for salt, because they legitimately need it. So you can't really accuse them any further at this point, but Kirk is still a bit suspicious. So at that point, because he's calmed down a bit, Sturgeon and Green go outside and they're looking for Nancy because they're going to beam everyone back to the ship until they work out what's going on for the safety of the Doctor and his wife. And then we, you know, it happens again. We end up with someone screaming outside... When they run out to find out what's happened, this time it's not Nancy, it's Sturgeon. Sturgeon's on the ground dead with the same red marks all over his face, and they don't know what's happened. Now we get to see that just around the corner behind the rock is Nancy Carter, and she is standing over the body of Green, who is also dead with the same red marks over his face. Now we don't quite get to see her do it at this point, but it's pretty clear from the music cues and the way they're doing it that we're supposed to know it was her. We don't know why or how quite yet, but we know it was her. So she's hiding from Kirk as they're looking. But then she looks into the camera, or sort of near the camera, and she morphs into Crewman Green. Walks back around the corner and tells Kirk, I was, doing, I was circling around to find out what happened. I found Sturge is dead. Didn't know what to do. I, I didn't find anything. They ask if they found Nancy. She says... While still looking like green, she says no. And he says, all right. And he beams the three of them up to the sur- up to the ship. So Crewman Green, who was actually the salt vampire, as we're going to call her from now on. And and himself. And I, God, you'd think I'd know, but I still don't remember if it was Spock or McCoy. And it doesn't really matter. And at this point, you know, Kirk goes off. He goes to the bridge and everyone goes to do their thing. And uh, they start, use, you know, because Kirk freaks out, I'll, I'll say, before they go up, he says, use your brain. We, so it is McCoy who's with on the surface, sorry. I've just remembered because he tells McCoy, who doesn't want to leave the surface because he doesn't want to leave Nancy there thinking she's in danger, he says, use your brain, let's go to the ship, we have a scanner on the ship, we can pinpoint a lit match anywhere on the planet, we'll find her. Which, you know, calms him down and they beam up. Now, of course, he doesn't realise at this point that she is taking the form of Crewman Green. And, um, yeah, so at this point, this routine medical check is up to three Starfleet casualties, which is just craziness. But, uh, so they go up, and then we get a weird scene of Crewman Green not really knowing what to do, because the Salt Vampire is now on a starship, looking very confused, not knowing where they are, looking for salt. Yeoman Green is eating a meal. And she has a salt shaker along with a pepper shaker on the tray. And she's bringing this to Sulu, who, by the way, apparently works as a botanist. That's something that I completely forgot about Sulu. Maybe that's just my bad memory, but I didn't remember. I knew he was on the bridge a lot and he steers the ship like that is his role. 
But the fact that he was a botanist completely... I forgot about. And I don't think they use this botany bay very often. I'm, I'm going to be very interested if they do, because it's not a part of the ship I recall very well. But yet they go there, and we get to see Yeoman Janice Rand, as I said. And uh, he follows her all the way to the botany lab where Sulu is. And obviously she's delivering the meal to Sulu, which is, you know, good. That seems to be back then they didn't have replicators, so food and the serving of food and the carrying it around the ship. They had actual stuff for, and it makes sense that you would see them. So she delivers that to him, and Crewman Green, which is the salt vampire, remember, awkwardly walks in behind them and just is watching her. Tries to steal her salt, she slaps his hand away, and then when they get to Sulu's office, he sort of walks in behind her, and she jokes to Sulu and says, oh, he's not talking today. And the plants start to... And after a little while, I'm not sure what the salt vampire was planning to do here, but the plants start to freak out because the plants are like alien and they're moving around they look like animatronics or something and they start freaking out because obviously they can sense on a much more basic level that there is something that eats salt and could kill me in the room they start freaking out which causes the salt vampire to basically leave runs out the room and then takes the form of something in the mind of Uhura for whatever reason, she must have been imagining a man of her dreams at that exact moment, and he takes the form of that man who is apparently a sort of light-skinned West African man who can speak Swahili. So apparently that's what Uhura wants more than anything. But this creature is able to read her mind and take the form of her imagined ideal partner, which is, you know, as expected, freaks her out a bit. The salt vampire backs her up to the wall with Uhura at this point. Uhura gets away purely... <laughs> because she gets saved by the bell, basically, when the bridge suddenly beams you know, across the speakers, says Uhura to the bridge, which stops them in their tracks, where I think she was about to kill Uhura in the hallway, if that hadn't happened. And then she ends up running into the lift as Yeoman, um, what was her name? Yeoman Rand and Sulu run into the lift because they are on their way to the bridge too, and she sort of slips through the door behind them without saying anything, obviously feeling a bit awkward. And, and I have to just throw in really quickly that after Green ran out of the botany room, Yeoman Rand turned to Sulu and said something that was just so hilarious to me. It's so stupid, but she she called Green a spook, which I know, that's a 1960s term. Like, it's not used much anymore, but it was fun to hear. You don't hear the word spook much anymore. And uh, she calls him a spook and then says... I th you think he's going space happy or something? <laughs> Just, yeah, space happy. You know, I've heard of space madness and stuff like that, but space happy is a new one. I've never heard a term for that. I kind of like, is he going crazy? Is he going space happy? That's a that's a fun way on a starship to say that. It's not important again, but I thought it was fun. We also get a weird, like, on the bridge, Kirk's eating the food cubes, as people call them, the coloured cubes, which... I, I think they're based on the old dehydrated meals that were designed for NASA astronauts and stuff, where they were basically cubes of protein and tubes of nutrition. Like, they're not good-looking things. And I think they were trying to show that, like, perhaps in the far future, we're still having to use this technology because replicators don't exist yet, but, eh, it's not great. The food cubes always kind of look comically like lollies or, like, weirdly baked cakes that have just got too much food dye on them. They, they never really looked right and I'm kind of glad that they stopped using them later on in Star Trek but for this series we're going to see a lot of colored food 
food tubes, a lot of coloured food cubes on plates all over this starship. And for whatever reason, everyone seems to like them. Now, we do see in this moment, this is the part where I said before that there was a crewman that I don't know the shirt colour of that died. He could be an engineer, so he could be red or he could be blue. Because I'm not really sure. He's wearing some kind of radiation suit and he's coming out of one of the rooms. The, vamp the salt vampire sees him and we sort of flick away, but it's clear that she's going to kill him. She's going to suck the salt right out of his body. Now, after a little while, you know, of talking on the bridge between the crew, they eventually determine that something's going weird here, there's something strange happening, and they want to go talk to the doctor on the surface again, Dr. Crater, and to hopefully try and find Nancy Crater to get some answers of what the hell's going on here because now Kirk has three dead crewmen, he still has no answers, all he knows is that someone is lying to him because what they're saying isn't adding up. So he wants to go down again, which I gotta say, the fact that he's still going down personally kind of... Like, where is the chief of security that's like, oh, you've already lost three crew members this mission, perhaps the captain, the most important person on the ship, shouldn't go to the surface this time in case you become another casualty. But, you know... At this point in time, I guess the captains were more, as Spock puts it during Next Generation, into cowboy diplomacy. <laughs> they were much more wild and didn't follow regulations quite as much, which is what makes original Treks sometimes a bit of fun, actually. Because they do stuff that the other Treks just wouldn't do. Now, I know, I've been going on a while, but don't worry. I, the end of the episode is about... It was, I'm about there. So, so, at this point, the Doctor is uh, not feeling great. He's really worried about Nancy, he's a bit stressed about the mission, he feels bad about not seeing all these things straight away, and he can't sleep. He tries to call the bridge, Kirk tells him to go to sleep and take a sleeping tablet because you need rest. And then Nancy shows up at his door and he looks all confused. And he says to her that you shouldn't, how did you get here? And she just basically charms him. She's, you know, good looking girl from his past, she comes in. He says, I was just about to take a sleeping tablet. I was struggling to sleep, and she basically convinces him to take them. So he passes out pretty quickly, and it almost looks like she's going to murder him right then and there. Until, again, the comm goes off, Dr. McCoy to the bridge, because Dr. McCoy is needed for this um, next undertaking that they want to do. And then she takes the form of Dr. McCoy and goes to the bridge. Mind you... At this point, the body has been found for the other crewmen on board that she had killed. So everyone's a little freaked out, and the ship ends up going on to... What is it? Q... What did they call it? It was weird. They don't call it Red Alert at this point. They call it General Quarters 3. And later on, we get a General Quarters 4. Now, they never explain what this scale means, but uh, in a lot of old sci-fi, it used to be levels 1 through 5, based on the old Cold War nuclear warning system. So, you know, level 1, everyone's cool, you're allowed to do whatever you like, and levels 2, 2 is like caution, and then 3 and 4 is like, we're in danger, but we haven't been boarded. Everyone get to your quarters and battle stations and be ready. 5 is catastrophe, abandon ship, or we're in the middle of combat. I imagine that's initially what they were thinking with Star Trek, that they'd use a system like that, but later on they end up going with yellow and red alert. Kind of basic, but they work. And the bridge and the ship lights up with the colours, which I noticed in this episode, the ship lights up red for General Quarters 3, so... 
Not really sure why they use general quarters instead of red or why when they change to red, but we'll keep note of that. I'm interested in when they first say red alert. Now, we have a meeting with the Doctor, uh, Spock, Kirk, Dr. Crater, talking about Nancy. Now, remember, at this point, Dr. McCoy is not Dr. McCoy. The real Dr. McCoy is in bed. This Dr. McCoy is the salt vampire. She's sitting there as Dr. McCoy, and she's pretty convincing, to be honest. She's not as sarcastic as he normally is, but she's doing a lot of the same sorts of jokes and comments that he would make, trying her best to fit in, and she's doing pretty well. Obviously, Spock and Kirk, a couple times, they sort of look at McCoy weirdly, like, I think they're sort of onto her, but, again, stress of the situation, they just put it down to that. He's acting a bit weird. Now, I did notice during this, because they basically, before we say what I noticed, they're trying to say to Dr. Crater, look, like Kirk says directly to him, I'm willing to drop all charges up until this point, which is pretty huge. Three crew members are dead. He could be in a lot of trouble here if he's, he's truly lying. And he says, I'm willing to drop all charges up until this point if you just tell me what's going on. Let me solve this. Let no one else die. Let's solve what's going on. He basically refuses. He admits that he he says, my wife died about a year or two ago and was killed by this creature. He says, I nearly killed the creature, but then the creature took the form of my wife and started living with me. And as he says, the creature is not stupid, it's intelligent. He sort of has come to have feelings for this creature. So long as it receives salt, it's not dangerous to anybody. Which is why he was so desperate to get salt tablets, because he wants to feed the creature and go back to the year of fantasy life that he had with this creature. Because he perceives it as a beautiful woman, or his wife probably looking at her best ever, is what he sees the creature as 24-7. So I understand he's with sort of mixed feelings, but he's kind of, at this point, he's very clear he's attached to this creature. He's not going to betray it, and he basically says, I can't help you find it. He says, yes, I could recognize it no matter what form it's in, but I can't help you. At this point, the creature obviously realizing that he that he is in trouble, he's cornered, or she is cornered and in trouble, and that doesn't really see a way out. And honestly, in that position, I'm not sure if there is a way out. You're kind of screwed there, but the creature hungers, needs salt, can't stop. So they determine that they're going to use truth serum, which is apparently a medical thing, because Dr. McCoy is going to be put in charge of administrating truth serum to Robert Crater, so that he can say the truth about Nancy or the creature taking the shape of Nancy and actually help them find it. So Dr. McCoy, who is of course the salt vampire, leaves the room along with Dr. Crater and Spock, who chooses to tag along. Then we get a transition scene where we see a speaker on the wall in one of the halls saying, Captain Kirk to dispensary urgent. And he comes running and we find Spock on a bed. Spock has been attacked. He says it was not Dr. McCoy. Dr. McCoy, the creature, had taken the shape of the Doctor. And that immediately, they say, General Quarters 4, there's two guards at the door, and they find Dr. Crater dead. And at this point, they don't know where else to go, except for the fact that if it's not the real McCoy, we need to find the real McCoy. And then we get a transition to McCoy's quarters, except we see Dr. McCoy walk in and look at Dr. McCoy, and then the salt vampire switches forms and turns back into Nancy, and quickly wakes the real McCoy up and says, 
and starts crying and saying, you have to protect me, they want to kill me, I need your help, and, you know, all the manipulative stuff. He's in a deep, sleepy haze, he's already enchanted by this Nancy woman from his past, he doesn't quite understand yet what's going on, he's been asleep, remember, for this whole sequence now, for most of it. And, um, straight up, and before he really has time to question this, he sort of says, like, who's trying to kill you and before any answers or any more questions can be thrown out the door opens and in comes captain kirk with his phaser up which i think is fair considering he doesn't know what he's walking into for all he knows mccoy's dead just like the others and he tells the doctor to get out of the way when he sees nancy there because he knows what the creature is and he has to dispose of it it's too dangerous and um yeah, this leads to a really weird sequence where basically she uses some kind of mind power to, like, stun the captain after, well, because first off he comes in and he says get out of the way and they're arguing and he tries to shoot her. McCoy and him end up basically fighting in a little bit of a tussle, McCoy trying to disarm him because, you know, in his view, this is Nancy, this is his ex-girlfriend that he still has feelings for and his captain is now trying to murder her and because he missed all the in-between... He doesn't understand. So he tries to disarm the captain and save her life, and yeah. She ends up getting involved and jumping in at the wrong, wrong moment and freezing the captain, and Dr. McCoy has a bit of a weird thing where he sort of leans against the wall. He's like completely freaked out. He's holding the phaser, and when it becomes clear that he's not going to shoot to protect the captain because he doesn't know how he feels and he's a bit, I think, mentally in a trance. I think she's been doing something to him. And, um... Yeah, basically she goes to eat the captain, like stick her fingers on his face, and she morphs into her real form, which is this weird, what I can only describe as like an ape, an ape-like creature with a round, round massive lips that look like it would be like more of a soccer tube that does have sharp teeth in it, and then hands that are kind of like an octopus with all the soccer tubes, which is what the red marks on the face are, and goes to put it on Kirk's face, and right at that moment Spock comes in and basically yells at the doctor for not shooting and then steals the gun off the phaser off of Kirk, takes it and fires, finishing her off, killing the salt vampire who, as she falls to the ground, remains in her main form. And that's basically the end of this episode. They determined that it was a shame they had to kill this life form who was on its own, but they had to do it for the crew and because Dr. Crater is dead, well... They hit warp one and they leave the planet. Supposedly they're going to go and put in a report to Starfleet. But yeah, that's the end of the episode, which it's it's not the best episode of Star Trek by any means. I probably way over explained it and went into detail with it, but that's okay. It's the first episode. But yeah, the only other comment I really had about it that I thought was sort of interesting was McCoy at one point says in this last scene, he says, Lord, forgive me. Which is interesting, and I feel like it was a line that would have probably been forced on them, because Roddenberry tried very hard to keep real-life religions, like Earth religions, out of it, because in his vision of the future, humans wouldn't follow those religions. Because I remember reading, like, in an initial draft, the studio wanted him to have a pastor, or, like, a, um, a priest, or a father of some kind. They wanted to have a religious figure from Christianity on board, because it's an American ship in the future. Of course they're Christian. Roddenberry, of course, had a little more foresight than most of them and was like, no, no, I don't think they will be. This was a ship of science and didn't allow that. And also, I don't think, 
I could be wrong, but I don't think Dr. McCoy is particularly religious. Like, I don't remember that being a huge part of his character at any point. But in this episode, he says it. Again, I don't know the story. Maybe it was a studio throw-in. Maybe it was just a bit of... Maybe it was the actor for McCoy himself just sort of threw that in there. I really don't know. But, you know, it's not a bad episode. It's a pretty good introduction to the crew. We get to see the captain. I don't think Scotty is in this episode. I don't think we got his introduction. But other than that, like, yeah, it was a really good introduction of the characters. We got to see the ship. We got to see warp speed. And we got to see what what a basic episode is when you break it down. It is, most of the time, Star Trek is a mystery story. They're solving mysteries. They go to planets, they solve murder mysteries, they solve scientific mysteries. Always putting the pieces together with a little bit of character drama in between. That's why some people call it kind of like Star Wars, a bit of a space opera rather than a sci-fi show. Because some episodes lean a lot more towards that. This episode was sort of a good in-between. I mean, the salt vampire being the last of its kind on a world with a dead civilization is pretty sci-fi. And then having the spaceship, you know, pretty sci-fi, but also... Inside of that, it was also more of a journey of Dr. McCoy and character decisions between them and getting to know them more than it was about, you know, using the space lasers and all the other science fiction stuff. But anyway, that has been this episode. I'm going to just go ahead and say that next week, next week we'll be covering episode episode three of the original series, season one, which is titled Charlie X with Kirk's old friend Charlie, who I think, I could be wrong, but I think may actually come up at least one other time in the animated series. I'll have to look into that. But anyway, it's a pretty cool and iconic episode as well. And I hope you all enjoyed this episode. I also intend to release a supplemental Federation Radio episode, which I'm going to do semi-regularly, which will be an episode that is not covering an episode of Star Trek but is more of a podcast episode in between where I talk about certain topics. This one, I more so want to talk about my opinions of Star Trek and stuff, so that I don't go into it as much within these episodes where I'm covering the TV shows. So thank you for coming by, thank you for listening, and I'll see you all next week on Federation Radio. Bye for now. <laughs>